Hi, this is Justin Coletti of Sonic Scoop. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of the Sonic Scoop podcast. Today, I'm going to be answering a question that comes in a lot, both from my mastering clients and from people who write in in the YouTube comments and to my email podcast at sonicscoop.com. So if you want to shoot questions now, you know how to do it. So a big question is, should I have alternate versions of my master, like a different one from spot for Spotify and streaming services, different one for vinyl records, that kind of thing. And the reason people ask this is because they know that there is a degree of volume normalization going on on these streaming services. And they're thinking, maybe I don't need to push things quite as loud for streaming services. Maybe I don't need to go, you know, screaming loud if they're just going to take the loudest stuff and turn them down. And the same thing, if there's a vinyl record, you know, listening to vinyl record, you're not listening to on shuffle, you're not hearing these tracks back to back next to other tracks. Maybe we don't have to push it as loud so we can make an alternate version for some of these streaming services. Is that a good idea? I would say, I'll give you the short answer right out of the gate, which is that for 90% of people... I'm going to say that one master version is probably enough. The cool thing is you don't have to master it super duper hot anymore. Well, you're not pushing it extra super hot to be the loudest thing compared to all the other tracks out there. You don't have to try to win the loudness war anymore. And that's one of the great things that streaming services do. However, there are some potential benefits to still mastering at levels that are slightly louder than those suggested by the streaming services. One of those benefits is that, yeah, your track is going to get turned down a little bit on streaming services. But even if you do, if mastered properly with a decent loudness level, it might have the effect still of bringing up your average loudness level to be a little bit more consistent and potentially having an average level that's louder than other tracks that are mastered more quietly. So this automatic volume normalization doesn't totally eliminate the problem of some tracks sounding louder than others. It helps mitigate it, it helps close the gap and bring things closer together, but there's still potential loudness benefits to mastering a little bit louder Not a ton louder, but a little bit louder than the streaming services recommend. There's also some potential dynamic range consistency benefits. There's some potential benefits when you're considering background noise. Like if you're listening to music or your fans are listening to music in a car, on a subway train, that kind of thing, there can be benefits to having a slightly louder, hotter average level, which you can potentially get by mastering a little louder than some of these streaming services recommend. And there's also the potential benefit of getting a certain tone that comes from a little bit more compression and a little bit more limiting. So I think that most people in most genres are still going to be happy or happier with a record that is a little bit louder than the streaming services recommend. But the cool thing is you don't have to push it so loud just to try to win a loudness sip test because those things are becoming less and less relevant. That's the short answer. The long answer as to why that's the case and to try to give you all the reasoning for why this is, well, that's what the whole rest of the episode is about. So if you want the short answer, you've got it. If you want the long answer, I'm going to give you that in some great detail right after I shout out this week's sponsors, which include you. How do you sponsor this week's episode? By smashing the like button down below if you haven't already, or uh, commenting, subscribing, liking, all that stuff if you're on the YouTube version. 
If you are on an audio-only version like Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify or the like, five-star rating and review really helps spread the word and helps out me and this podcast tremendously. So I really always appreciate that. Big thanks also to Sound Toys, making some of my favorite creative mixing effects. Try out anything they make for free for 30 days at soundtoys.com. Last two quick little shout-outs to Focusrite, talking into a Focusrite Claret interface right now. Make great bang-for-the-buck stuff and high-end stuff, too. If you're shopping for interfaces, check them out. Also, Steinberg making some of the coolest music production software out there, like Wavelab for mastering. Cubase, Nuendo, Dorico, the music notation platform, a whole bunch of great stuff. All right, now let's get a little deeper into this question. And the reason that people are so concerned about loudness is because the louder sounds better, or at least it seems that way to our biased perception as human beings. If you took two different mixes, mix A and mix B, and everything was the same except mix B was like 2 or 3 dB louder, and you didn't tell people which was which... 80% of people would say, well, that mix B sounds better. It's got a fuller, thicker, fatter, low end and more luscious, soaring, high frequencies. And it just sounds bigger, deeper. No, it's just louder. (laughs) And that's it. And we experience louder, generally speaking, as sounding better, all else being equal. So these tests have been done. 80% of the time or more, people are going to prefer the louder one when everything else is the same most of the time. But fortunately, on streaming services, they've made that matter less by taking the loudest tracks and simply turning them down. That magic number on a lot of these streaming services is somewhere like negative 14 luffs. That's kind of like a loudness unit. It's a type of way of tracking loudness. And here in this case, when it comes to things like luffs, loudness units, the bigger the number is, the quieter the track is. Because a reading of negative 14 luffs would mean that your average level is 14 dB quieter than the loudest momentary peak in that track. Whereas if you had a track that was negative 7 luffs, that means the average level is only 7 dB quieter than the loudest peak. So that means that track is louder on average. So the question becomes, well, for these streaming services, I guess we shouldn't go any louder than negative 14 or whatever it is on your particular service. Negative 14 is one, on some it's negative 13, but they're all around there. So some people think maybe we shouldn't go any louder than that because the loudest tracks, they just turn them down. We don't want our track turned down. Or at least if it's getting turned down, it's not going to seem any louder. So maybe we're making some sacrifices with too much compression, too much limiting, that's going to hurt the sound of the track, and it's just going to get turned down in the end anyway, why don't we not do all that extra compression and limiting and just turn down the track? And that's a totally reasonable way to think about it. But even with that being the case, there's still some very good reasons and potential benefits to mastering a little bit louder than what is suggested by these streaming services, even if they're going to get turned down. And those reasons, I've hinted them at the beginning, are threefold. One, having a more consistent average level for the track so there aren't these big jumps and and peaks and there's not too dynamic, especially if you're listening to situations where there's background noise and that kind of thing could be a problem. Number two, so that your average level sounds competitively loud with the average level of other tracks mastered a little bit hotter. Because as I'll give you an example in just a minute, even once a track gets turned down, a more compressed and limited one can still potentially sound louder on average than a more dynamic track. We'll get into that in more detail in a minute. And the last reason is tone. 
because the loudness war did exist for decades upon decades and has been part of recorded music history, the things that people did in the past to try to get loudness, all that extra compression and limiting, and to some degree, EQing things to make them sound louder, all of those things became part of the sound of recorded music and the sound of some of our favorite records and the sound of some production styles and genres that are popular today. So you might want, for all three of those reasons, to still master a little bit hotter. Now, the cool thing about these streaming services is you don't have to master so stupidly hot that you're making tons of compromises, over-compressing, over-limiting, making things sound worse just to be loud. You can put put the kibosh on that completely and just say, nope, we're going to master this to a reasonable level, and that's it. And we're not going to try to go the extra 2 dB to get louder than that other track. We're just going to let it be here. Let me give you some concrete numbers for what might be common in different genres. We'll start with the loudest. EDM, electronic music, and maybe hip-hop will have some of the loudest masters. These masters, to this day, could be as loud as, even the world streaming services could be as loud as negative six luffs. Maybe negative five. Maybe a quieter one would be negative eight or negative nine. So there's that range of acceptability for, say, really hot genre like uh, EDM or hip hop, maybe anywhere between negative nine and negative five with something like negative eight, negative seven, negative six being, you know, fairly common. And there's a couple reasons for this. One, when that track is played in the club, you know, not off some streaming service, it wants to be competitively loud with other tracks. Number two, some of this squashing is part of the genre and part of the tone and sound of the genre and gives it some of its edge and personality and character. And number three is that these are genres where they want to feel dynamically consistent. You don't want the verse to be substantially quieter than the chorus, that kind of thing. So you want some dynamic range consistency. And Yeah, could you have a Spotify version or a streaming service version for YouTube and Spotify and Tidal and all that stuff that is mastered quieter in that case? Yeah, potentially you could. But I would say that for the majority of artists, having those two versions probably isn't worth the added expense and the added tracking and administration headaches that go along with it. Because you can't necessarily go on, you know, TuneCore, DistroKid at this time and have one album release with a quiet or loud version depending on whether they downloaded it from Apple Music or are streaming it on Tidal. So you'd kind of have to have two different versions of your album that are released, and this adds complexity and additional fees, and some of the services just don't have a good way of doing this. And then you're probably paying more to your mastering engineer for that second version, and maybe you're adding on 25 30% to your mastering costs, that kind of thing. And also the degree of loudness and crushing and all that happens at the mixing stage. Are you going to have an alternate mix too? And then you don't have like the one version of the album that everybody's happy with. So for these formats, I'd probably recommend mastering to the range where you'd be competitively loud with other stuff heard anywhere, you know, not through some volume normalized service, but just don't push it so much that you're making compromises to try to be the loudest because that's where these streaming services really do succeed is when things are close and kind of evening them out. So there aren't big jumps, rock tracks, uh, you know, and some pop tracks that aren't done screaming loud might have averages that are a little lower. Negative 14 is probably going to be a little bit quiet and a little bit 
under-limited and under-compressed to a lot of modern tastes compared to, say, negative 11, negative 12 would be a fairly quiet-ish, you know, rock or pop master. And something like negative 10, negative 9 maybe is fairly more average. And then negative 8, negative 7. Now we're getting really loud, particularly for the rock genre. But then there are going to be some demented records in these genres that go even louder and they're as loud as EDM records and stuff like that. But even here, there's some potential benefits to mastering your track slightly louder and getting slightly more dynamic range consistency. Because when you master a track to be slightly louder, you're going to make the differences between the chorus and the verse in volume a little less significant. And that can be good, again, for listening to these records in situations where there's a lot of background noise, but it can also be good for the overall impression of the average level of the track. So let me just give you a really quick example. Imagine you mastered a track where the hottest parts of this track and the loudest chorus, the volume was something like negative 10 luffs. And then in the verse, the verses only ever got as loud as negative 14 or negative 13 loves. There's a three or four dB difference between the louder sections and the quieter sections. But now imagine you master that record to only negative 14 loves, but now the quietest parts of that song are something like negative 19 loves. Now there's something like a five dB difference between the loudest and the quietest. So when even when this louder track gets turned down from negative 10 luffs to negative 14 luffs by a streaming service, those quieter sections are also getting turned down by 4 dB, but maybe they're only going from negative 13 luffs down to negative 17 luffs. Whereas the track that was mastered to negative 14 the quietest sections there are negative 18, negative 19, luff, something like that. So the average level for the quieter parts of the song are going to be 2 or 3 dB quieter on the track that was mastered more quietly. Whereas on the track that was mastered a little hotter, yeah, the loudest parts got turned down to a lower level, but the quietest parts are a little bit louder. So you get a louder average level out of the track that was mastered a little bit more aggressively, still, even on a streaming service, even after it gets turned down, potentially. So that is one potential reason. There is still a little bit of competitive loudness going on on streaming services, even after things get turned down. I know that I threw a lot of numbers at you that might have felt a little complicated, but I hope you get that concept that mastering a track a little bit more aggressively and then turning it down can make the quieter sections still louder than the quieter sections on a track that wasn't mastered as aggressively. You can actually see this kind of thing happen, and one of the potential issues with extreme dynamic range happen on one of our own videos on this channel about loudness. It's a very popular video. We had an amazing mastering engineer on named Alan Silverman. And Alan Silverman did this whole thing about the future of loudness and how services like Spotify and YouTube and all this stuff are changing the way that we listen to music. 
And because we have a ton of different examples in that video, we have some screaming loud tracks. And then we have some quieter tracks and we try to match his voice so it's around an average level in there because we want you to hear these big jumps in level between the loudest tracks and the quietest tracks. It's a very dynamic video. So what happens in that? Well, since there's some really loud sections, the whole video gets turned down a little bit, which makes Alan's voice, which is the most consistent thing to that whole video, relatively quiet compared to other videos. So if an ad comes on blaring in the, in the middle of that video, it'll sound relatively loud compared to Alan's voice. So even with this auto volume normalization in place, it's not perfect. And in really dynamic material, the quietest sections can still be lost to things like road noise, to things like chatter in the background of a coffee shop or the bar where the music is being played. So there are still benefits, some benefits to compression and limiting to an appropriate degree even when played back on streaming services like Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, etc. It's still good for most types of popular music to have some level of dynamic consistency, which might require a master that is a little bit louder than negative 14 luffs at its loudest spots. Plus, you have to remember that that record that you released is not only going to be heard on Spotify, it's going to be heard in other places as well, where it gets heard back to back with other things, and you don't necessarily want it so much quieter. Now, the cool thing again about streaming services is you don't have to go overboard and overdo it anymore. So maybe now you're only mastering to negative 11 or negative 10, whereas in the old days of the loudness wars, you'd say, no, we can't be quieter than the other stuff. So we're going to go to negative nine and the next people go to negative eight. The next one goes to negative seven. This is never ending, escalating arms race. So you don't have to do the arms race anymore, but you still, I think most people are going to benefit from a record that's mastered a little bit louder in most genres than the streaming services recommend. Now that said, there's records that go the other way where they're going to benefit from you relaxing and letting some of that dynamic stuff come through. So if you absolutely love the way your record sounds at negative 14 luffs, which is the target for a lot of these streaming services, you don't have to push it louder. If you love the way it sounds and you don't mind potentially that maybe some of the quieter sections will be quieter than the average for some of those tracks that were mastered hotter and turned down. And you don't mind that, yeah, your loudest sections are as loud as those other tracks, but some of your quiet sections are quieter than some of those other tracks. And if you don't mind that, then keep it that way. Because there's certain styles of music that are going to benefit from that kind of treatment. And for people who are doing really intent listening, going on some of these dynamic arcs and journeys can be absolutely wonderful. You can mimic a lot of that even on a fairly loud and dynamically controlled master. You can still get a great emotional arc out of them, but it is a slightly different experience to have a more dynamic master. So ultimately, you got to get your ear to be the guide much more so than the meters. The meters are a great secondary reference. And I go into a lot of detail about this. I go about four times longer on this in my course, Mastering Demystified, in our module on loudness. And you get to hear some of the stuff that I'm talking about and see some of it happening on the meters. You can check that out at masteringdemystified.com. There's also a free mastering workshop. If you want to wrap your head around some of these concepts a little bit better, you can get my free Intro to Mastering at Mastering 101 at sonicscoop.com slash Mastering 101. 
if you want to go deeper into some of these ideas. But I hope this was a good overall primer for you. Long story short, for most of you, and I'm going to guess 90% of you, one version that's a little bit louder than the streaming services recommend is probably the best bet for you. If you're like Beyonce or something, I don't know, you have an unlimited budget or uh, whoever it is, then maybe it might make sense to have different versions for different formats and the extra costs you're going to incur and the extra administration of it isn't the end of the world. But even in those cases, I would say, why wouldn't you just master the record once and have you know one iconic, this is the version of the record, this is how it's supposed to sound, we're done, and we made the best set of compromises for the ways that people are listening to music today, which is a mix of streaming services and other things as well. And that's really what I'm going to recommend for at least 90% of you, and maybe for even more than 90% of you. That said, if budget isn't really a concern, you have a big audience, you want to be experimental and do a slightly less limited one for vinyl and a slightly less limited one for Spotify and a more limited one for those few people who have CD changers, go for it. But I'd be inclined at that point to say, why do the slightly more limited one for the CD people? Like, just don't, (laughs) right? Like, it's your fault for being on an archaic form of technology. Just don't do a a super screaming loud version. Just do the one version that makes sense across platforms. And that's why I'd be more inclined to say, but that said, if someone really wanted to do different masters for different formats, I'd be absolutely happy to do it and happy to experiment in that way. But it's just not the direction that I steer most of my clients because I think for the majority of my clients, the extra expense and complication of that isn't going to give them extra rewards in most cases. So I hope that all makes sense. Agree, disagree, please let me know in the comments down below or write to me, podcast at sonicscoop.com if you're listening to the audio-only version of this one. Also, if you are a mastering engineer, if you have a different perspective on this, I want to hear below especially. Also, let me know, do you charge if you do alternate versions for different formats? How much do you charge additional for those different versions? If you are an artist or a mix engineer who's been a client of mastering engineers, how have your favorite and maybe least favorite mastering engineers handled this? What do you think are some of the best and worst practices from your perspective? Uh, What's some of the advice that's been given to you? If you want the full scoop on all this stuff, loudness, there's a whole loudness module in my full-length course on mastering called Mastering Demystified. You can get it at masteringdemystified.com. If you want to go deeper on mastering, you can also get my free intro mastering workshops called mastering 101 get that sonicscoop.com slash mastering 101 if you want something more about mixing i've got the five habits of truly great mixers for you over at sonicscoop.com slash mix habits that sonicscoop.com slash mix habits big thanks to our sponsors that is sound toys try out anything they make for free for 30 days over at soundtoys.com makers of some of my favorite creative mixing effects out there big thanks also to focus right i'm talking to other claret interfaces right now Great, amazing bang for the buck interface. Super happy with it. Using on every episode of the podcast. Sounds great. Hasn't given me a lick of trouble. Also, big thanks to Steinberg, making some of the best DAWs out there for music production, including Cubase, Nuendo, the mastering platform, Wavelab, Dorico, the music notation software, and their own great line of interfaces as well. Thanks for hanging out with me. This has been Justin Coletti of Sonic Scoop. See you next time.